Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and joining me once again, author M.R. Scott. Uh, welcome back to uh, the podcast. Thank you for having me back on, Kevin. It's always a pleasure to uh, to be on here talking with you. All right. Now, we uh, recorded your, uh, your interview about your book, um, When the Rain Doesn't Stop. Well, excuse me, The Rain That Never Stops. Sorry. Uh, the Rain That Never Stops and the Problem of Depression. Uh, we recorded actually a little bit ago, and I said, hey, you got to come back on the podcast because we never actually got to any of the questions that I had for you. <laughs> right. Um, so we had a good conversation, um, but I wanted to welcome you back, and I wanted to get into some of these really important questions. So again, I want to I want to state the name of the book that we're talking about, the book that uh, you just wrote, The Rain That Never Stops and the Problem of Depression. So um, what, I, what I'd like to do, so I'm kind of skipping through the introductory stuff because we kind of did that last week. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did want to get to chapter two of your book. And because that really was, I found extremely helpful. And uh, I thought it'd be good to walk through these seven statements that, that, that you made. Um, and so if, if that's all right, let's, I, I figure we jump through these seven statements. Again, chapter two is the first cloud of gray approaching. And yes. I think really these, these, these seven reminders or seven, I don't know what to call them, steps, seven facts, um, I think are really helpful in this whole issue of depression. Last week we talked about how uh, oftentimes the church doesn't want to talk about some of these things. And uh, I think this book really will help break the ice and on, on two on two fronts, first, for those who are struggling with depression, it, it it's helpful to know that, as we're going to see here, you're not alone and that a lot of Christians do struggle with this. It is something that Christians struggle with. But also, too, for those who don't struggle with this, I think it helps uh, kind of gives an inside look at those who do struggle. So it it helps with empathy and it helps with just understanding where our brothers and sisters are at. Uh, is that is that kind of why you wrote the book? Yeah, I think, you know, I had been struggling with a, a deep form of, of suicidal depression ever since I was 14. And I did my best to try and kind of stifle that and kind of put it by the wayside and say, hey, you know, like everybody has these thoughts. This is just, you know, flirting with something that's taboo, but it's not real. You know, I don't really want to do this. But like in the back of my mind, I knew um, the first day I had that feeling, it was like, well, this is actually not just like a random thought. Like this is actually like a desire that I'm feeling in my heart that I don't want to be here anymore. So as I grew up um, and continued to wrestle with this and struggle with it, because it was something I did keep to myself. It wasn't something that I was just, you know, broadcasting to everybody because I was still kind of in that form of denial of, well, no, nah, it's not happening to me. Like I'm a guy, I'm tough, I can handle it. Um, but when I realized that, Hey, this is a real issue and it's not only an issue for me, but it's an issue for other people. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of like literature or, um, sermons on depression and like how to look at that from a Christian perspective that kind of drove me to want to write something about it so that other people could have a resource in their hands that they could refer back to, um, when they were feeling that struggle. Yeah. And so, this again, this is a helpful book. You want to buy this book. Um, 
again, I, I get a lot of books sometimes that uh, I'm asked to review or interview the, the author. And, you know, I'll, I'll put forth a token effort uh, because I want people to keep sending me free books. But uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a good book, and I, it, it does come with my recommendation. Now, I don't know if that uh, helps or hurts you, MR, but uh, <laughs> it, has my, it has my full endorsement. If it has your stamp of approval, that's all I need. It's got the basic Bible podcast approval right there. I love it. <laughs> um, so let's walk through these seven statements you make here in chapter two. So first, there is no shame. There is no shame in suffering from depression. And that's really important because I think that is the first response that people have. I, I agree. I think that was my initial thought um, because one of the things that I was worried about is well, if I tell people that I'm having these thoughts or that I'm struggling with this, they may look at me differently. They may they may not view me in the same light or maybe I just become, you know, the person that you have to pity or the person you have to stay away from because, oh, they suffer with depression and, you know, maybe they're not uh, truly in line. You know, I've, I've had people kind of mention that, like, you're just not walking with the Holy Spirit. And granted, you know, we all need to walk more in line with with God and his spirit and in his word. Um, but in my head, when I heard that, I just thought to myself, man, that is not the thing that you tell someone struggling with depression, because they're right. probably already acutely aware of that fact. Um, so, yeah, I think absolutely. It's very important that people realize there's no shame in suffering from depression in the same way that there's no shame in suffering from a fractured ankle. Right. And I think that's you know, there's, there's that pressure of how can I, as a Christian do this? And I think we talked about a little bit this about that last week, but because I know, um, I know the truth of the gospel and I know the truth of scripture and, uh, you know, I shouldn't be feeling this way, but I am. And I think that tells us more depression is more than just feeling bad about something or just, um, you know, some people, some people get depressed, you know, for a day or so or for a couple hours after something bad happens or, or, or something right. and then it's you know let your turn that frown upside down and let your um your faith take over but mm-hmm. this depression is something as you just said it's something much more than just a sorrow or feeling bad but can should be compared with other medical issues yeah, and I, I think for myself, too, what was really difficult was when you talk to um, individuals who do have depression, a lot of them can kind of tie their depression back to a certain traumatic event. Uh, you know, a young woman, hey, I was sexually abused when I was a kid. I've never been able to reconcile why that's happened to me. Yeah. I've been depressed ever since because I don't know how to process and get over the fact that my dignity was assaulted in that way. But for myself, there was never any stimuli. There was never any traumatic event, at least that I can recall. Maybe something, you know, I fell when I was one year old and hit my head the wrong way or something. But I can't recall anything specific where it was, oh, my gosh, that happened to me. And now I've been struggling with depression ever since. And that that is a struggle because, like you said, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Why am I feeling like this? And when you can't put your finger on where it stems from, and I'm a person who likes to really try to go back to the root of issues. It's not enough just to say, hey, I have depression. For me, it's I want to know why I want to know where it's stemming from. I want to know what's causing it. 
Um, and sometimes it just seems like those answers are a bit nebulous. You don't know where it comes from, but you know that you have it. Right. And as Christians, this shouldn't be a shameful thing, but it also it shouldn't take us by surprise. You, you write here on page nine, if a broken world is where we live and all of us are broken, then it isn't any surprise that brokenness resides within us. And that's really so key because we, we all look back to Genesis 3. We look at back at the fall mm. and the fall doesn't just affect Adam and Eve, but affects all of us. And uh, we can look at Romans 5 and talk about how that uh, original sin, that doctrine of original sin affects us all. But we have been affected not just in terms of sinful acts that we commit, but we have a sin nature and not only do we have a sin nature, but sin has affected even the body itself. We are not the way that God originally programmed this world and our bodies to work. And mm -hmm. so uh, because of that, we do, you know, I, right now I'm wearing glasses. Um, that's, I, I believe, a sign of the fall that we're not, no body is perfect. And I mean, physical body. Yeah. And that affects not just physical but mental as well so we are going to face this and this is something that we need to start talking about and something that um needs to be brought to attention yeah and i, I think what you just mentioned there that sin uh affects the faculty of the mind is something yeah. that is overlooked like we look at physical ailments and we say okay product of uh you know the fall and sin and then we look at you know uh depression and we go okay you know, there are a lot of people who will say that is a product of sinfulness, not just the existence of sin and the consequence right. of sin, right. but personal sin in your life that is harming you spiritually. And I do think there are things that we can do, uh, certainly in our lives that contribute. You know, when I lived in uh, Phoenix for a year, I was up there, I isolated myself, I was in sin. And, you know, that was contributing very, very heavily to my depression. Um, I wasn't getting spiritual counsel. I was just, you know, because one of the things that unfortunately happens when you're depressed is you just isolate. You don't want to be around other people. And even though I'm a very extroverted person, if you leave me by myself alone, chances are I'm probably not going to make too much effort to like go out anywhere. So I always tell people, if you want to find me, it's going to be the gym, it's going to be church, or it's going to be at home. Because <laughs> I really don't, you know, other than going out and seeing John Wick like three times, the new John Wick movie three times, planning on a fourth this weekend, um, you really won't find me anywhere else. And part of that stems from that depression. Right. Well, let's go to number two. Number two, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all things, including depression. And, you know, that's the truth of the gospel being brought to bear on this situation that in the midst, let me say it this way, in the midst of your depression, God is still sovereign. I think a lot of people want to use this to, this solves the issue, right? Because right. Um, when you just think God is sovereign, then okay, then I don't have to worry about anything. And so therefore, I'm not depressed and I'm cured. But that's that's not what you're saying. No, I I want to be very clear when I when I talk to people about this. Um, and even in the book, I, I make sure to mention this is not going to be a magic formula. This yeah. is not going to be, you know, hey, you repeat this prayer, you follow these steps and your depression is just going to disappear and everything's going to be perfect. Right. I think 
the issue that I have seen, and recently at my church, we had a guest speaker who who touched on the subject of the problem of suffering and evil and how that can be reconciled with a good God. And the entire time I was sitting there listening to him, I'm like, man, this guy is just not doing a good job. You know, it's mm. it's very theologically shallow, but it's very emotionally driven. And we're very good at driving emotions like, hey, God loves you. God cares for you. God doesn't want this to happen to you. And then it's like, well, by contrast, you have to almost create this um other force that's acting in opposition against God's will that is somehow able to do things to us that God doesn't want to happen to us. Yeah. And when you go into that territory of saying, you know, well, God is, God is sovereign, but God doesn't want bad things to happen. It's like, well, bad things are happening. So there has to be a way that we can understand God's sovereignty in light of the suffering in light of the depression. And for me, it's, it's a matter of, okay, if if God had preordained the cross, and that by all definitions is the most horrendous evil um, event that has taken place, and he brought the most glory out of it through the the cross and the, the redemption that we have in Christ because of his atonement, I, I feel very confident in saying that God can be sovereign over my depression and use it for his glory and my good, which he absolutely has. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking uh, I'm trying to um find this passage um as I'm as I'm looking this up, but there are times that God wants us to go through difficult situations. Mm. You know, I'm reminded in, in Second Corinthians about the apostle Paul who has his thorn in the flesh. That's probably the the classic yes. um and and he prays three times for god to take it away and, and we know paul had faith you know it wasn't just like paul just wasn't a good enough christian or not mm -hmm. um but god said no i want you to go through this and um that that's a tough thing where god god wants me to suffer through something right and he has an ultimate plan that and even uh, and i was trying to find this here but I know there's a passage in the Gospels where, you know, if I were a good host, this would have all been done in prep in the hours and hours of show prep I put into this podcast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Jesus, uh, right before the whole situation of Jesus uh, walking on water and whatnot, and Jesus calming the sea, th there was a passage where Jesus, uh, yeah, this is the one where, where he's, he's walking on water. And, you know, Jesus sees the ship from the shore and the and the disciples they're struggling through this thing. He doesn't come out immediately, right? He sees them first. Doesn't come out. So in other words, there was a time where Jesus saw people struggling; they were in trouble, and he didn't go. Or, or, or you know, the situation with Lazarus, the the resurrection of Lazarus. Um, he yes. waits three days before you know he he takes a trip eventually to to, to Bethany, and um, Jesus oftentimes has a struggle and that's hard to, to think about but in his sovereignty he says there are times where you you need to go through something and that's hard to grapple with but that's the truth yeah and uh one of the and I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now but i i mentioned him um in my book if you have read uh david murray's christians get depressed yes. too it's a small little work but in there, he he quotes um, another author 
who basically asked the question of, you know, when you look at the parable of the talents and you see the master gives certain servants these talents and that they're to do things with them that are going to be productive and useful. He asked the question, why do we not view our suffering as talents that God has given us to do something yeah. with? And yeah, I think I, I thought that was such a powerful sentiment because, you know, that's been my mindset all along. It's like I can sit here and I can let my depression crush me. Or I can do something with it that's going to glorify God and build the kingdom. And I'm a firm believer that God can use any circumstance, any situation um, for his glory. And I mean, again, if you look back at the cross, there's no circumstance that was more harrowing than that one. And right. God used it for the greatest good. So I'm in complete agreement with you. I do believe that there are times that God has in his will and in his perfect wisdom has given us these talents that we're to do something with and that, and to be faithful. And my former pastor, before he died, he, him and I would meet for Bible studies and he would always talk about his wife. You know, his wife had passed away years ago and he was just, you know, every time he talked about her tearing up. And, but I remember one day he shared with me, he said, do you know what my wife's favorite verse was? And I said, I, I don't, you know, cause I never knew her, but I'd love to know because I mean, he was just so genuine and so smart. And, and I'm sure she was the, by the way he uh, talked about her, but he said that her favorite verse was Isaiah seven, nine. And the second part of Isaiah 7, 9 says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Mm -hmm. The question then becomes, how do you know that your faith is firm if your faith is not tested? Right. Absolutely. Which kind of leads us into to number three. <clears throat> that, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Suffering uh, produces faith that God will use ultimately for his glory so here our suffering in this life is often the oil that causes the lanterns of our faith to burn brightest if we are trusting god with it whether you can believe it or not if you trust in christ what you find will be your greatest detriment god will use it to his greatest glory and your greatest good so and i, I think of romans 5 which talks about the uh, that idea of um rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering in produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And, and God wants us to go through these things because God's going to use this in our life, which is probably mind blowing at the time. Cause when you're going through that difficult situation, it's hard to think that this, this is going to be used for God's glory. Are you kidding me? Yeah, there have been, you know, and, and that's a, that's a very fair point is we tend to be very short-sighted and say, oh, well, I'm suffering now. God's not doing anything with it now. Therefore, God's not going to do anything with it at all. Right. And it's like, well, you know, he holds time in his hands. We don't. And I don't I don't know what God is going to, you know, bring about and how he's going to glorify himself, um, you know, in the death of a loved one, because we all know that's inevitable. You know, yeah. every day we're all getting closer to uh, the grave. I don't know how God's going to necessarily um, bring glory to himself in that moment. I know that scripture says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So there's nothing wrong with actually mourning these things that happen. And it's not about being, um, you know, blissfully ignorant where I get hit by a car and I say, oh, thank you, God, so much for these broken right. legs. I'm so happy that I can't walk. It's like, no, it hurts. You know, like these things yeah. hurt. 
do affect us and they're painful and God's not ignorant of those facts. But I will tell you what, you know, it's kind of like the, if you go through the book of judges, the people of Israel, when everything is, you know, hunky dory, we don't need God. We, we are right. fine. We're dancing, we're partying, we're having a good time. We're hanging out with our pagan neighbors and now we're starting to worship the pagan gods. And then it's like, Oh, wait a second. You know, now we're getting conquered. Uh, now things are going awry. God, please help me. I think that, you know, obviously we should never just be the, the reactionary Christians of like, oh, I'm going to be a Christian when things are bad and I'm going to be, you know, a pagan when things are good. But I do think that Christians tend to get driven um, to look into these matters as I was when they suffer because people want an answer. Like we, we want to have an assurance that what we're suffering is just not vain. It's not purposeless. And I think when you read the scriptures rightly, you will come away with the knowledge that God is using all things. It's, it's not just the good. It's, it's the good, the bad, and everything in between. Right. So in number, uh, number four, it's really important that you're not alone or depression shouldn't be handled alone. I, I think that both are true. You're not alone if, if, you, if you're a Christian. Um, but the worst thing to do is isolation. You said yourself that you tend to isolate perhaps mm. um, when this comes on. And I know for myself, I don't always want to be around other people when I'm going through a difficult time. Um, but God has called us, I mean, throughout scripture from, from Genesis uh, one through revelation 22, God calls us to a community of believers Yes. Um, God created us, not just man, but man and woman, because it, Genesis 2.18 was not good for the man to be alone. Yep. And that, that's really important, but you need people in your life, especially during those times, but in the midst of the shame, in the midst of the sorrow, God doesn't want you to be alone. Yeah. And one of the one of the things I point out in the book is that depression is as much a spiritual battle as it is a mental battle. Yeah, because, you know, and David Murray writes this and Christians get depressed, too, that there is a, a relationship between my physical well-being, my mental well-being, my spiritual well-being. You know, when a person is sick and it affects their their physical, you know, that has right. a tendency to affect their their mental and that can have a tendency to affect their spiritual I may not want to get up and, and go into the living room and stand there and sing worship music when I have a 102 degree fever and I'm, you know, puking every right. other hour. But I think the danger comes and I love first Peter um, five, eight, because it says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to get devoured by a lion when you're by yourself than when you're with a group. Right. And the issue for isolating, at least for me, was I was just, you know, what did what did Jesus say to to Peter? Like Satan would have sifted you like wheat. It would have not been a challenge or a struggle at all. But I prayed for you. And it's we, we tend to underestimate the ability of these spiritual powers to have influence in our lives because they're so subtle. It's not like Satan's bursting through my door like, hey, I got you right where I want you. You're isolated. Stay here. It's just, you know, those creeping thoughts or those feelings or right. those influence or, you know, it's very subtle and it's almost like, you know, you're scrolling on social media. You don't even realize how much time has passed because it's an endless loop. And yeah. sometimes depression can be like that. Right. And so I, 
it's really important and our time is kind of dwindling, but um, man, it's, this is so important to get down because this means as Christians, number one, when I'm going through difficulty, I should communicate. I need to have the awkward conversation with somebody. Maybe I don't want to talk to yes. uh, In fact, in those times I don't want to talk to anybody, but I should communicate that. But then number two, for other Christians, we, we need to be watching. And sometimes we need to ask difficult questions of people. How are you doing? No, I don't mean just the, you know, Hey, how you doing? Uh, you know, greeting at church, but how's your spiritual life going? How, how, how's your home life going? How's your, and, and probe a little bit and get personal and that gets awkward and that gets messy, but that's where healing happens in the awkwardness and in the messiness of, of relationships that God wants us to have with each other. Yep. And, and the cool thing about it is you never know how your transparency will inspire someone right. else to be, right. to be transparent. And, uh, you know, I've had instances in my life where I've shared something that I was going through and then someone else in the room starts just talking about how they've been going through that same thing for so long and they felt like they were so alone and yeah. like it was good for them to know that there's someone else. And I thought that was really eye-opening because again, if the devil gets us the easiest when we isolate, then he's going to want us to isolate by making us feel like we're alone, which means Hey, I want you to feel, I want you to feel guilty about your depression. I want you to feel ashamed. I want you to feel like you're the only person on this island. There's nobody else like you. Nobody else is going through this. Uh, it's it's just you. And if you tell anyone, they're going to look down on you. They're going to condescend you. Nobody's going to like you or want to be your friend. So you better just keep this to yourself. You and I will we'll handle this together. And it's like, yeah, it's it's tempting not to say anything because we want to be viewed as those people who have it all together. And I do think that, you know, in a very real sense, you can probably pin some of that on social media because everything on social media is, you know, look how good I'm doing and look right. how great everything is. And we want to try and be part of that and emulate that. But at the same time, it's like, well, we have this going on. So we know if we try to, it's just basically going to be falsehood. Yeah. You can curate your own image. Uh, and I always remind people that <laughs> you look at my family, when whenever you see that picture of us smiling together, just realized that like two minutes before that picture was taken, it was a much different picture, you know, and, you know, <laughs> five minutes after the same thing. Um, so number five, don't be afraid to lean on uh, medicinal and spiritual remedies. In other words, go to a doctor. It's, it's not a lack of faith to um, look into medical remedies or medicinal uh, outlets or avenues, excuse me, um, to handle your depression. Yep. You and know, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I, uh, when I was in Phoenix, you know, I, I was just, it was getting so bad, uh, my depression that, you know, I was breaking down at work and I was just not able to hold myself together. And my boss at the time said, Hey, look, you know, uh, through work, you do get insurance, you can get like five free sessions of therapy, like use them, see if it helps. And I got to meet with this guy and and I, you know, he let me ramble on about, you know, uh, theology and topics of faith, which was really cool. But I don't know where he he stood himself spiritually. But 
to be able to sit down and talk to him and have someone who kind of studied the mind and knew the mind to be able to help me unfurl some of these things and some of these thought patterns that I was having was incredibly helpful. Yeah. And, you know, he, he wouldn't have been able to give me outside the gospel, you know, the uh, complete hope that's in Christ, but that doesn't mean that the techniques and the things that he knew that he shared with me were not going to be helpful. And they weren't things that I would be able to apply to my faith in addition with what I knew about the gospel. So, I I strongly encourage anyone who has depression, you know, don't be afraid to talk to someone um, as long as they're not encouraging you to just, well, oh, you feel sad here. Take, you know, 500 of these pills. Right. It's like, well, you know, and I I had talked to this guy and I said, hey, you know, is there any chance that I might be able to get medicine for this? And he said, look, you don't need medicine. You just need to work through this. I don't want to put you on medicine because they have side effects. I don't want to do that to you. Let's talk through this. And I said, okay, fair enough. But I was looking for the quick remedy because I just right. wanted it to go away. And he said, no, you've got to you've got to work through it. And I think the Lord does that sometimes. We want the quick remedy. And God says, nope, you got to work through it. You got to work with me on right. this one. And that's not to say that medicine couldn't help in, in right. circumstances. I mean, I, I know of people who have you know, they, they want, I, I want to attack this spiritually. I don't want to go through that, but it was medicine that actually helped them as, as one person, uh, a friend of mine said that it lifted the fog mm. out of my mind so I could address the spiritual issues that I was going through. But if I hadn't had that fog lifted through medicinal remedies, I couldn't have addressed the spiritual issues. So it's not a right. and, either or. Yeah, exactly. It's it's something that, you know, has to be evaluated. I think he recognized that I did not need it. Yeah. Um, why he was like, I don't want to prescribe that to you. Um, but, you know, obviously he had the power of prescription. So that could have been an option if he evaluated and said, hey, you know, this isn't something that's so much of a like a mental thing as it is like a physical chemical thing going on in your mind where there might be imbalances. Um so yeah, I'm I'm not opposed to medicine, um, counseling, or you know the spiritual reality of those things. I think that you can blend all three of them together the same way again. That if I had the flu, the doctor says here, here's your you know your thermoflu medicine. Here's you know do this and do this and you know and I'm in prayer while I'm going through that. I think that is equally valid as well. And we should add just a disclaimer that. Um, you shouldn't be taking any medication that your, your doctor is not prescribing. Yes. <laughs> so just throwing that out there. All right. Uh, we've got, we've got just a minute or two here. The last two here, number six, number seven, number six, just, it, it seems trite, but I think it's true. Just take it one step at a time, one day at a time. Um, and that, that again, it sounds cliche, but I think in that moment, I, I, I would even bring it down to just, next step, next step, next step. Um, again, I haven't, depression isn't something that I've struggled with too much, but I have had my moments and some of those moments where it was just, okay, step one, get out of bed. Step two, take a shower. You know, um, some of those little steps day by day and sometimes in my minute, you just have to take the next step. Yeah. I, I think, um, the reason I, I wrote that was because there would be times where I'd sit there and I would just look out 
almost like, oh my gosh, if I look out into the future, I'm going to be suffering with this a year from now, two years right. from now, what's going to go wrong? How am I going to get over it? And it's like, hey, dude, like today has its has its own problems you need to deal with. Like today is enough. Don't worry about tomorrow. Get through today, you know, because I'd wake up and it's like, well, there are my thoughts of I want to kill myself. I don't want to be here. You know, the, the last thought on my mind before bed was I don't want to be here anymore. I want to kill myself. And it's like in between, it was just those thoughts and it was terrible. But I knew that if I trusted in God and I believed, you know, Romans uh, 8, 28 and First uh, Peter 5, 6 and 7, that the Lord cares about me and he wants me to cast my anxieties on him. And I understood God's sovereignty in light of that. I knew I could take it day by day because I knew that God was doing something with it every day. Right. And then number seven, um, depression is not something that makes you weak. That man, that's something that, again, it seems obvious that oh, if I'm suffering right now, I can't, I'm overwhelmed by life. And so therefore I must be weak, but you're saying actually, no. Yeah. I don't think depression makes you weak because I don't think suffering makes you weak. I think suffering makes you human. Um, and I think because of the consequences of the fall, we're all going to struggle with something in some capacity. And the fact that we're struggling with it doesn't make us weak. Um, I would say that that is what is really going to be one of the stimuli that drives our faith to be stronger. And I, you know, I'm of the mindset of, you know, let the Lord increase and let me decrease. I don't get yeah. to really choose the means by which I decrease and he increases. But I will say that through my own personal experience with depression um, for all these years is that the Lord has tremendously increased in my life and I have decreased and realized, you know, I'm not the big bad wolf that I, I think I am. And thank God for dispelling that illusion because my life would not be what it is um, if I didn't have him to reveal that to me. Mm. So again, the, the title of the book that we've been talking about this week and last week is The Rain That Never Stops and The Problem of Depression by M.R. Scott. So M.R., thank you so much for taking the time, not just this week, but last week as well, uh, to talk to us and, and, and write this book. I, and I really believe this is going to help a lot of people. Hey, I really appreciate you having me on and I look forward to any future discussions. Always a pleasure to speak with you, Kevin. Yeah, I hope that you'll come back on because, man, even with this, I was speeding through some of these that I really <laughs> spent a little more time with. And so, I mean, you've been a great guest and I hope that you will come back on. Um, and uh, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you an email about that sometime. Um, but again, our, our uh, check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. We'll have a link to where you can purchase this book and uh, other resources as well. Uh, check us out on Facebook, our Facebook group, then on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Basic Bible Cast. So until next week, have a great rest of your week. <laughs>